Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, uh, thanks everyone for joining today. Uh, a very good uh, evening for the people in India, a very early morning for the people in the Pacific and other time zones. Uh, again, my name is Vikash. I'm a proud graduate of IIT Guwahati 2002 batch. Uh, graduated from computer science and uh, right now I'm thrilled to spearhead the initiative of the speaker series that is organized by IIT Guwahati Alumni Association. Um, professionally, I've spent around two decades in the industry and um, uh, you know, right now operating in the intricate world of machine learning uh, at Capital One. And uh, uh, it's a shared journey of academia to industry that makes uh, today's series all the more significant, significant for all of us. Um, our main speaker today is none other than uh, Tushar Kant, a very well-known personality in the field of technology with a distinguished career spanning Silicon Valley to Wall Street. Um, we eagerly look forward to his call today, to his uh, uh, presentation today about uh, the democratization of AI through cloud computing focusing on generative AI enterprises and cloud computing. That would be his uh, emphasis today. Um, uh, and as we embark on this journey for the next one hour or one and a half hour, I encourage each of you to actively participate, learn and make the most of this enlightening discussion. To ensure a smooth session for everyone, I request that you all keep yourself muted. Uh, and if you have any questions, please feel free to post them in the WebEx chat or unmute yourself to ask the question directly to Tushar. Absolutely, and yeah, I encourage everybody to certainly switch on your cameras. It makes it much more lively, uh, you know, much more engaging. And that way, I would also remember people, uh, you know, for years to come, uh, you know, and you all look very good no matter what time of the day it is. Thank you, uh, Vikas, for that particular introduction. I know a number of these attendees here for almost a decade, uh, known all of you uh, in professional and personal settings. Uh, so my presentation and talk, I was initially thinking of just focusing upon how cloud computing has interacted, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, especially over the last five to 10 years, it has really grown. Whereas artificial intelligence has existed since late 1950s, since that first conference at Dartmouth. Uh, but then I decided to expand the whole presentation to generative AI and how that has been enabled by cloud computing, but also how generative AI and enterprise has got so many different factors into play that I would like to share that with folks, the direction it is going in. My role in my last eight to 10 years has been in as a product leader, as a business leader. People like Apollock have always you know, mentored me, guided me. And so I'm not a technical coder or implementer. I do want to share something with IITNs here uh, before we begin so that you understand where we are coming from. And that is, uh, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of us know each other is because of a forum which I run for IITNs uh, in the area of artificial intelligence. You guys can probably see it. It's a Slack-based forum. We have 1,751 IITNs across the world who are part of this forum. It's free. And we have got 60 to 70 channels which we use for discussions. We leverage this for, you know, organizing events. We work our way through this. And so if you are not part of it, uh, I would strongly encourage you, the way to join it is, just send me a LinkedIn invite with, and you know, your email address, I can invite you to the forum, and that way you'll be in touch with us, with all the events that we basically do, and that's how we know each other. Me, Vikas, Apollo, Deepak Bhagatji, uh, Kalyan, we all know each other really well from that particular source. So I wanted to let you know, and if there are questions that you have, 
which I can't answer. You can leverage this forum anytime and we have got experts from every geography and every top company that you can think about in Silicon Valley and beyond. So with that, uh, let me start my presentation here. Hopefully you guys can see the presentation and you know, uh, look at the slides. So the key, the key theme we're talking about, of course, is generative AI and enterprises. We'll talk about democratization of artificial intelligence through cloud computing and covering this whole gamut. I strongly encourage people who have questions uh, to stop me wherever you want. Uh, switch on your cameras and you can ask me as many questions as you like. I only have 27 slides. It's going to take a lot of time to go through the slides themselves. Uh, here is an outline for the event. Let me see if I can make this in a presentation mode. I think hopefully you guys can see the slides. It's big enough. So we'll talk about fundamentals of artificial intelligence. Even if you have never known what artificial intelligence is, this presentation still will be useful to you. We'll talk about some of the basic concepts and talk about generative AI. We'll talk about traditional challenges in widespread adoption of artificial intelligence, you know, compute and storage related challenges, need for deep domain expertise. Uh, we'll talk about how cloud computing has democratized artificial intelligence from the perspective of compute storage as well as, you know, SaaS, PaaS models as well as large language models. And then we'll focus most of our time on generative AI and enterprises. We'll talk about some of the key challenges. I mean, we all know what chat GPT is. We know about OpenAI. We have heard about Google Bard. But why, what are, the, you know, for something like this to succeed, what are the challenges that we see in enterprises from enterprise perspective? Uh, and how they can be addressed overall over a period of time. We'll talk about generative AI use cases, horizontal use cases, vertical use cases, as somebody was mentioning, Kalyan was mentioning. They went to an event with Google in capital G and where they basically were discussing about, uh, you know, working their way through cybersecurity and people start talking about generative AI. So same thing. We'll talk about some of the challenges in generative AI as well and uh, from multiple different perspectives. So that's how the overall flow, uh, no hard and rigid, uh, you know, structure that I like to put. You guys can basically, you know, ask me, stop me, ask questions. And remember, this is an IITN forum. There are some non-IITNs as well, perfectly fine. Those who have come and attended my forum, you can ask any question that you like, that you want, we'll happy to address them. So look, you know, the field of artificial intelligence is not as uh, intriguing as people think. It evolved from the area of statistics. And we all probably read about mean, median, standard deviation, and the basic concepts of what is called cent uh, methods of central tendency, methods of dispersion. We all basically you know, read about that. Then came the concept of correlation and regression, linear regression, logistic regression that we all have uh, looked into. As engineers, we typically have worked with them, applied it to different areas. Uh, then came uh, you know, linear regression basically looks at correlating two variables. Logistic regression typically puts some bound uh, under which you want to understand the relation between variables. There is machine learning, uh, where is pattern recognition, uh, genetic algorithms. These are some of the things which basically with some of the earlier concepts in artificial intelligence. I myself did my undergrad thesis in genetic algorithms in 1997 in IDBHU. And my master's was in artificial intelligence at University of Cincinnati in the area of pattern recognition. Over a period of time, uh, we also had concepts like neural networks, which evolved into what is called now deep learning. And then generative AI has come in, 
where you got large language models, chat GPT is something which has become very popular. This is the overall flow of evolution of artificial intelligence over a period of time. Generative AI is not something very new. It's basically an evolution of what has been happening since late 1950s. One of the reasons it has basically become suddenly exploded, it has kind of democratized artificial intelligence to a great extent. Everybody can basically go. And typically, uh, as you can, as I will go through some of my slides, previously you needed certain amount of sophistication, access to certain amount of compute storage environments uh, where you can basically work uh, and you know learn about uh, different artificial intelligence and machine learning tools. Now what has happened is uh, it has become accessible to people at fingertips and that is what is going to change the game going forward. Before I move to the next slide, any questions people have and I'll give chance to people to ask questions on every slide. If there's something which I'll be covering later, I'll tell you it's going to come, but I want to stop at every slide to give a chance to people if they have anything that they want to know. And I can't see all the attendees, you will have to Peak, uh, you know, or maybe I can stop sharing if somebody has a question. Nope. Okay. So one question which gets asked to me all the time is the fundamental difference between artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning. Yeah, and just, I want sorry, to if you, if you go can ahead. make it slideshow mode. Some of the graphics are hard to read. This is Google Slides. So you, one of you will have to tell me. If you, uh, top top uh, right, you see slideshow near share, next to share. Yeah, that one. Thank you. Okay. Good. Much better? Yeah, thanks. Perfect. So, uh, see, Apple Look is always there to help me. I, sometimes I can't figure out some basic stuff. So, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, right? Uh, so, Artificial intelligence was the, the broadest field and the vision of people who started artificial intelligence was we can develop something we can sense, reason, act and adapt like human beings. We never got there by the way till now. Uh, you know, people are still working upon it, but that was the holy grail of artificial intelligence. Machine learning is one of the subset areas of artificial intelligence where algorithms uh, improve performance as they're exposed to more data over time. So, you know, this is how it is. Uh, what happens is whether you're talking about, you know, working on specific areas where, and one of the key things here is the word data. The more data you have, the better some of the systems basically get, and I'm gonna show you a feedback loop in a minute. So that's where machine learning comes in. Deep, deep learning is a subset of machine learning. We've got multi-layered neural networks which learn from vast amounts of data. So look at it this way. Artificial intelligence, you know, it's like somebody trying to mimic the whole human being. Machine learning is like how the human overall psychology behavior mind works where we learn as we grow over a period of time from a kid to the adult and we keep learning deep learning kind of mimics the way human brains are basically made as a matter of fact uh, deep learning was previously known as neural networks and the word neural networks come from the word neuron neuron are individual elements in our brain which basically are wired together as a result of which we behave learn over a period of time the way we do it that's where deep learning comes from and then that particular field has evolved and grown over a period of time and make this you know, whole thing very structured. Anything people would like to ask me? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> hey, Tushar, this is Kalyan. Um, Go ahead. So it, this is a great one, right? <clears throat> so if you really want to map the things that are out there in the um, market right now, like let's say the LLMs um, and the self-driving cars and stuff, you know, where do they fall in here? So if yeah, I absolutely. Self-driving car, let me answer that first. 
self-driving car, and I attended a presentation five, six years back from an IIT Bombay alumnus, Vijay Vargava, I think. Um, it's a combination of multiple different areas. A self-driving car is a four or five layered structure from artificial intelligence perspective. It has got computer vision capability. It has got sensing capability. It has got control systems. It has got you know uh, ways to basically uh, improve human experience. So it's not, you can't just bucket it in one of them. It basically is a combination of multiple different areas of artificial intelligence. What I'm showing you is a very simplified view of it. Now comes you know large language models and stuff. Your your voice is breaking up, Nitin. No, you we can't hear you. Okay, let me continue. Now, when it comes to large language models, right? Let's step back and think through this, right? There are two key areas in artificial intelligence and machine learning: natural language processing and computer vision. Computer vision is related to images, videos. Natural language processing is about actually learning, working through text, what we basically see all around. Now, these two areas have evolved in computer vision. To some extent, is considered to be a solved problem. Natural language processing is not. It's much more complicated. To solve natural language processing and computer vision, we use machine learning and deep learning techniques. So they are like the two key use cases where these two these concepts are basically applied to. Large language model is an area, advanced area of natural language processing, where we basically want to understand the language models much more deeply from multiple different perspectives. That is what where large language models and natural language processing comes into picture. That's the overall space. That's how you have to think over a period of time. Um, the reason, uh, you know, large language models have become very, you know, uh, by the way, large language models have existed for years. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the co-founders of Global IIT Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning Forum is a friend of mine, Asis Bansa. A lot of you know him. He's written a book in, uh, you know, natural language processing through TensorFlow, and in his book, which was published in 2020-2021, he talks about GPT. And in 2020 fall, I remember reading the seminal papers on GPT one, two, and three from OpenAI, which talks in advance. And their first three. GPT-1, 2, and 3, they published everything in terms of how they're architecting and what they're working on. GPT-4, they have been much more secretive about it because they're trying to commercialize it. But that's how it basically fits in. That's how you have to think about it. Other questions people have? Nathan? Nobody else? The question? Yeah. Um, so, Tushar, uh, you're talking about LLMs. I was curious, what's the relationship? We also hear other buzzwords like foundation models, generative AI. What is we'll the come to that. Model? We'll have we'll have we'll have a couple of slides on that because I see. Okay. Cover it. We'll I'm cover jumping it. the gun. No worries. It's a good question, and I'll stop at those slides and cover those topics. Okay. This question people may have. I can move. So, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to answer, advance itself is. People always talk about typically the way AI was used previously was called predictive AI. You know, before generative AI came into picture, we did classification, which is looking at putting things in different buckets, regression. We did forecasting, clustering, where you basically bring different kind of elements together. You want to do anomaly detection, for example, for security reasons. You look at structure and structured data. That's what artificial intelligence typically did. Then generative AI has just come in where we have chatbots, you can ask it questions, you generate text the way you want it, you do generate image, you create data. That's a new thing that generative AI has brought into, into the hands of the masses. And there is an area where they intersect. For example, you can do structure and structured modeling for both of them. 
You can do data enrichment with feature generation. You can do predictive filtering before generation. So the area of generative AI, what it has done is, what was being done previously through predictive AI, they have basically brought, we can also do chatbots with predictive AI. It's not tough. Chatbots have existed before generative AI has come into picture, right? But what it has done is, it has made it much more easy to implement, work your way through that. Text generation and image generation, we probably could have done through some combination of tools and techniques which we had, but what it is generative AI is done is provided with a much easier interface to do it much more quickly. Of course, when you do that, uh, it also leads to a situation where things like ethics, regulation, a lot of things come into play because now it's like a monster which has come out. But I want to be very clear about few things and I do not want to take the discussion in that line because that can itself be a session. A lot of people have questions about is generative AI going to take away all our jobs? My friends, whenever a new technology comes in, whether it was James Watt inventing steam engine in 1825, or whether it was you know nuclear power coming in 1940s, transistors in 1940s, computers in 70s and 80s, web in 1990s, whenever all of these things came in, it did make human beings more efficient. Some of the traditional jobs got automated. That does not mean we do not have jobs. People move to higher level things. You do things which are basically built upon what you could have done previously with your jobs and work your way through that. So that's the way this basically works. So that question that generative AI would take away existing jobs, maybe it will be sift of human resources and talent into areas where they can basically use a different set of things, a different set of uh, skills uh, to basically grow, learn, and move forward. Second thing is, you know, ethics, uh, you know, regulation, a lot of borderline stuff that we basically work our way through it. How does that work? If you think from that particular perspective, <clears throat> every time a new technology comes in, again, there are regulatory issues. You know, we are still fighting Section 230, I think, right? Uh, whether the web companies like Google and Facebook are liable for the content on their platform. Uh, you know, when we have cars driving on the street, we have to put traffic rules into place. EVs coming into and self-driving cars coming into place. We have to basically look into from that, those angles itself. So all of these things that we have, it will require new kind of regulations. It will require new kind of, uh, you know, uh, systems to come into play. But that does not mean the technology advancement needs to stop. You know, so that will be addressed over a period of time. And like every new technology is a double-edged sword. Uh, you know, it has good aspects of it and bad aspects of it. So I wanted to address it right away in the beginning to make sure people are on the same page Answer any questions they have on this slide before I move to the next one. And I wanted to put this slide in the early in the game itself so that you get a sense of, you know, the overall when we talked about. Uh, yeah, but Tushar, I have uh, questions, but I'll reserve it because this is sure. more on the job thing. So we can talk. Absolutely. Later. Absolutely. For those who are completely new to artificial intelligence, and I want to make this really simple from that particular perspective. This is a fundamental concept of artificial intelligence, no matter whether it's deep neural networks, LLMs, computer vision, natural language processing, or anything which has been done. It works in this way. You basically build a model, you get inputs, and you have an outputs coming in, and you have a feedback loop. So what happens is you look at traditional data, you look at conventional data to train models. Once you do that, you basically have outputs coming out of that model. And what is key thing here is this is not a one-way stream. Based upon the outputs which are coming in, you can use it as a feedback loop to improve the model. And if you look at it from human brain perspective, this is how it works. 
the way human brain works is we have got our own memories. We have been trained over a period of time to think in a certain way. If we look at a new situation, we react and we expect the results to come out in a certain way. If it does not, then, and the results are different from what we'd expected, then we learn from it to improve ourselves and go forward. That's the way we look at it. That's how these models work. The beauty of these models is they continuously learn over a period of time. Of course, there are issues like model drift and you know other things which come in which make it much more complicated. But this is the fundamental aspect of it. If nothing else, you know, there's a way you can look at an AI model, no matter which area it is, is, you know, when a child grows, the parents train them to the get out of the college, the school, the teacher, and everybody. Then they're put into the real world. How do they face the real world? The way they face the real world is they basically learn from the world and then uh, basically figure out how things are. And then if things are not the way they expected it to be, they improve themselves and move forward. That's the way it works. This is the fundamental concept of artificial intelligence. Um, and one good thing is philosophical is, no matter how much data you can get to train a model, you will always face real life situations which are not what you can train the model on and there has to be a way to improve yourself. And getting philosophical, that's how human beings are, right? No matter how much we try, we'll face situations which we never faced before. We expected people and systems to behave in a certain way, they don't behave that way. So then we have to basically learn from that situation, improve ourselves and go forward. Happy to answer questions people have. This is a very important concept. If you get this thing intuitively, even if you've not done programming in this area, uh, as product leaders, as business leaders, you can easily get grasp of how things are working. So generative AI, and I wanted people to understand a few key concepts here, and that's going to, and we can spend as much time as we have to on this slide. That's why I said, because, you know, uh, we need to keep this session as long as people want. Large language model training, large language model refining, and information retrieval. They are the three key concepts you have to understand in generative AI space. The first is, what has changed the game from generative AI perspective is, Previously, every company or every system that you wanted to work with had to train their model based upon the data they wanted to apply to, you know, be it credit, uh, credit risk monitoring in financial services, fraud detection or healthcare or any of these areas, right? And then over a period of time, you can refine, improve the model, and then you can use that to retrieve information, work your way through that. What is generative AI has done in the way industry is evolving is, they're kind of segregating it into two different or three different buckets. There will be a few foundation models which will be trained, like OpenAI, Google Bard, and a few more, uh, which will be trained typically on the cloud, and these are called foundation models. These are basic models which are trained upon as much generic data as you want. This whole concept started uh, by something called Transformers. It's an area in itself in 2017, based upon a paper from Google called Attention is what you need. Uh, Waswani and others that published that paper, and then they basically build this encoding decoding mechanism. So that's where large language models basically came into picture. They're called foundation models. You can do internet scale data loading and pre-processing like, you know, initially it, it used to cost $12 million to train open AI models. Not everybody can do it, right? 
It requires a huge amount of compute and storage clusters. You can imagine at one point of time, uh, you know, OpenAI's GPT-2 or 3, which was 175 billion parameters, probably a trillion for GPT-4, which they have not revealed. Uh, and it was being trained on a Azure with high-end GPUs, A100s and H100s. You know, this has got a huge scale here, right? It requires a huge amount of computing and storage. Hey, um, go ahead. Quick um, <clears throat> question on this, right? So, so this is a very interesting slide too. So if you look at the second one here on the specific industry proprietary data sets, right? So the go amount ahead. of data, if you look at any company, right? <clears throat> and we've all been, you know, working. So the proprietary data is always within the uh, realm of the network and people do not usually have access to it. Um, so the GPTs and LLMs that have been trained so far uh, most probably have not gotten uh, access to that data. So looks like they are trying to move to that model, calling the private LLMs or the private model data sets. So what, what do you think, because um, they have not yet um, trained on that data, what is the opportunity there and what are the challenges there? The way it's going to work is this way, Kalyan. There will be a few foundation models which will exist. And then companies would basically take those models and fine tune them, refine them for their own applications. So for example, JP Morgan will pick up one of those models and then use that to train stuff for their own financial services applications, credit sourcing and stuff like that. Right. Uh, healthcare will do that. Now you're talking about a company, basically startup coming in the space, which has got a model, which is a little bit more fine tuned and refined for healthcare or for the retail or manufacturing, right? Uh, and that's a very tricky and a very interesting area. It's an interesting area because the foundation models do not basically cater to those needs. But then you will tell me, Tisar, how can I build a model when companies are not going to share their proprietary data with us, right, in healthcare? And let me tell you, and we had actually, uh, you know, way back in 2018, 19, 20 till beginning of 20, we used to have this coffee chat variety IML forum in person uh, at Olympus Cafe on Castro Street in Mountain View. Uh, what happens is, so what you can do is you can come up with a startup. Let's say I'm just giving you an idea uh, in healthcare or let's say in manufacturing. What you do is you will build a model which is specific to a particular industry. Try to collect as much public data for that particular industry that is available. Second, there are sources like Dun and Bradseat, which basically provides you with data, which you'll have to buy. Uh, third is something called synthetic data generation, where you basically leverage models which can help you create data that can mimic what goes in the industry and this is not a foolproof thing but you still will get something which is a little bit more focused on healthcare but then you work with your individual customers to further fine-tune it so it becomes a three-step process no. the foundation models which are completely generic you have industry specific models which are not specific to a particular customer but it's got a lot of publicly available data especially when it comes to acronyms phrases, terminologies that are publicly known, and you can basically focus your model in that particular space, get some data from wherever it is, do some synthetic data generation. It's called cold start problem in artificial intelligence, where you want to build models, but you don't have data. Startups face it all the time. And uh, you know that's the way to basically do it. And then when you deploy it to the customers, you get customer specific data and then take it from there. That's the way you basically position and work your way through that. Is that going to be a very easy game? Absolutely not, right? Because if it really picks up, and some of you guys might be knowing about products in public cloud more than I know, 
they will start building industry specific models as well because they have enough data to be there right now they're playing in the foundation model space and go from there so there's certainly an opportunity that's the way to tackle it and uh, you know uh, speed is the name of the game and uh, the quicker you can do that the more faster you can move i mean that 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 was spot on tushar uh, as a as a startup investor right you know my fund invests in ai startups and that's exactly what i was looking at i mean you you nailed it um uh, so that is where the challenge is uh, we're looking for startups in that area and you just nailed it exactly how we should be looked at absolutely and i saw you send me a message on the aiml slack forum Oh no, that that is for you. When you said you didn't know the connectors, I told you what it is. So that's a okay, ChatGPT. Thank answer. you, absolutely. And 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 I'm not sure whether I have your number or not. No, no, we will catch up. But you should share that screen after the meeting is done. Absolutely, we will do that. Your wish is our command, Kalyan. We'll do that. So, uh, the third part is once you have already built these industry-specific models, right? Then the good news is with Genetica, you can you can be somebody who has neither done the foundation model, nor you have refined the model, but you can basically build apps to collect data from it. And that is called things like JAT, GPT, or prompt engineering come into play. For example, uh, you know, there can be a law firm and they have not built the foundation model, of course, and there is some company startup or established, which has got a large language model refining or model tuning capability, which basically, uh, you know, uh, collects data from, uh, you know this particular sources legal sources they build it now the smaller companies the law firms may not basically have that much data or maybe they will have but they can leverage some of these models to collect data or you know get some information for example if they want to know about you know certain kind of cases related to let's say affirmative action plan or they want to know about some cases due to certain kind of discrimination or industry practices, they can leverage this model just to get the information what people are doing from chat GPT right now, which is a business in itself. Uh, before I get into prompt engineering, uh, which a lot of people, especially engineers must be he hearing about it. By the way, uh, Vikas, how many people have joined the call by now? I think there's 40 to 50 people to share. Very good, okay. Uh, so uh, something called prompt engineering so before i get into that area happy to answer other questions people may have uh hey Tushar. Uh, Mano. uh i have a question like so before you... i uh, let me let me stop my sharing and uh whoever is asking can you please switch on your camera and introduce yourself okay sure go ahead uh this is nikhil rati are you unmuted do we need to unmute you? can you hear me we can hear you. Nikhil, quickly introduce yourself, campus branch here, if you are an IITian. If not, where are you working? Where are you based? I, IIT Guwahati 2013 uh, pass out, and I'm Very currently work, working with Excelia um, in the airlines domain. Perfect. Which which part of the world you are located in? India, India. Perfect. So, Nikhil, go ahead. What question do you have? So my question is, what kind of, if you can, I don't know if it will come in the slides, but if you can share something about the kind of APIs that are currently available and, you know, kind of the opportunities there. So, Nikhil, I'll be honest, as I said uh, in the beginning itself, uh, I do not have every information at my fingertip. Uh, but as I said, if you can just correct me on LinkedIn, let me your email address, I can yeah. get you into our forum. There's okay. a deep learning. There's a channel on that called deep learning uh, in our forum. You can ask any of these questions and I'm pretty sure there are experts who can help you answer it. Okay. Or maybe chat GPT itself can tell you the APIs. Yeah. That you ask them. 
Yeah. That suddenly is an area which is evolving. I mean, this is a very new area, right? It went yeah. public in November. It has really grown. Yeah. All right. Thank you. No worries. Other questions people may have. Hey, uh, Tushar, so I uh, absolutely don't know much about this uh, area, right? which is why I joined this call. But so basic question. Um, so you, you had those three models, right? So the the one on the left, uh, the, the, I forget. Sorry. Let me, let me, uh, let me share my screen again. That can yeah. make it easier. So are there, so the, yeah, the, the foundation models, right? The foundation models, uh, like just wanted to get a rough idea of the number of them, uh, and, and what these are made available for everyone by the hyperscalers and you can just take it and use it. And there isn't any IP concerns on that. So the way you have to look at it is this way, right? The foundation models have been trained, for example, OpenAI and Microsoft Azure, Google is barred. I think Facebook has got its own model and a lot of new models are coming in. So they basically train, get the models ready. If you want to basically take them and use them, then you basically use their API, then you have to pay for it. Okay, so you gotta pay for the use. Absolutely, right? But think about it from other perspective. Uh, the way Microsoft will look at it is, okay, you'll pay me for APIs for AI, right? That is good. But the chances are you'll be running your, you know, refining the model, running your use cases, your deployment, on Microsoft Azure, right? They will make money out of storage and compute again, right? That's where the money is for them. So what they're doing is this is like Odell, California. You get hooked up to the foundation models. You basically bring them in, and then you basically work for work with them. And the, this is basically helps them increase the value proposition of the cloud platform. Think from the perspective of hyperscalers. One thing which you're worried about every day, and you were at AWS, Apollo for years. We do not want to be commoditized to a level where people can start switching between clouds or yeah. between cloud and on-prem. They want to give, you know, they want to put hooks to basically keep people on the platform. One of the ways to do that is through this, where you provide these kind of solutions, these kind of you know, applications, and you basically work your way through it. That's the way you have to look at it. Yeah, and then like just to get an idea of number, right? How many, how many of these different foundation models are, are out there? I do not have all the information in my fingertip. They're coming up every day, but the two key ones, which are most popular, which are known, are OpenAI and Google Bard. These are two yeah, main. Those, those two I know, right? Yeah, yeah, and then a few of them. I think Facebook has released some. There's another one which, which a company has become a four billion dollar company. Some of them are building foundation models, which are a little bit more catered to the industry as well. So some of these are coming, but that's where the game is. The reason Google Bard and Azure. Um, uh, OpenAI have become so popular is that associated with certain hyperscalers. And most of the people are them are on these hyperscalers and they want to use them. That's how the market is going to be. Now you can very well ask me to start how many of them will basically uh, end up being the most popular, you know, like every industry and every game, there will be probably three, right? Who basically will become the top players. Two of them is already decided, OpenAI and Google Bard. The third one we'll see how it basically comes. And to to adapt this foundation models for the middle tier, right? To create this um, uh, domain specific models, um, I guess uh, you in this case, are you still developing algorithms, or is it more a matter of tweaking the model based on uh, data cleaning and so on? So the two parts to the thing, right? Um, some of these models, which are built much more generically in nature, I would assume. The data part is the most important one because that's where you know, a lot of these models uh, will basically get trained to think from that perspective. But I would assume that there would be some part which relates to you know working with their APIs, and you build something on top of those APIs, right? 
because the API that you'll get from large language foundation models will not solve all your problems. So if you're building some applications on top of it, you will have to build that piece of it, right? You'll get some information from foundation model. Look at it as uh, APIs for any software development, right? You leverage them like if there is an Excel, you can leverage APIs for any of this, any of these tools out there. But then you have to develop some of on your own, not the basic capability which the foundation model is providing, but your own uh, specific use case and go from there. But it takes away from you the the burden of developing the fundamental pieces of it, the foundation pieces of it, or looking for data from every possible place in the world, and it, you basically do something which is much more of a head start. That's right, thanks. Other questions people have? Uh, hey, Prisha. Uh, hey, this is Manav. Uh, so Manav, like, stop. I want to know every person who's called. So sure. Manav. Manu. Yeah, go ahead. Manu, what's your full name? Manu Arochwala. Very good. Uh, Where are you based out of? Which campus? Which year? Bay Area, Guwahati, 2018 pass out, biotechnology. I'm a bioinformatics scientist right now. I'm working in Bay Area. Uh, I have a simple question. Like, so the adaptation of these large language models to domain specific needs, in my case, life sciences, there has been like a lot, uh, lots of reports of spurious uh, data being generated that had no reference to, uh, like, no real reference to. So, like, can you address on, like, how, uh, if, uh, if, if we kind of, I'm not sure if you fall into the middle tier in this uh, in the slide that you have shown, but uh, can you just expand a little bit more on like how we, how like hypothetically we can use uh, this and uh, essentially make sure that we are not uh, seeing a lot of spurious generative data. And another question, uh, that's one question. Uh, I have another one we can discuss. That. So let's start with, go through it slowly and slowly. You sure. take a foundation model, right? Now you want to use it for bioinformatics case. You can't just use the foundation model like that. You have to bring data from your side to basically fine tune it for your own application. Yeah. Right? That, so that's the, uh, I'm assuming that we have enough data to like um, uh, train it properly. Okay. Uh, and then you basically want to use it and you're worried that still there'll be some spurious data which will get generated. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's that, but uh, the second question is our questions won't be very uh, basic. Like it will be in a very, I'm not sure like how the memory of like, uh, I saw that uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not someone who actively works in the field, but uh, I saw that like uh, there are integrations of like vector-based databases to these large language models so that they can leverage all the um, uh, the learning that they do so, uh, over the course of uh, some uh, an end user when they use them. Uh, like I'm thinking, uh, does when you when we like use these pre-trained foundational models, try to adapt it to our cases. I, uh, do we see like a reduction in like uh, high memory and high storage uh, requirements? One of things. First of all, the reason these foundation models are being encouraged mm. by hyperscalers is not because it's going to lead to less amount of memory and storage, compute and storage. It will probably require a lot more. That's why they're interested, and that's why the bills will be very high. So get that out of the picture. It's not about hyperscalers helping you save money. Mm. They're providing you something which is at your fingertips to build a business much faster. Second thing is, 
if you're going to use foundation models without any training, then spurious data is certainly going to come because your foundation model does not understand your use case, your industry challenges, hmm. right? It only understands what the industry, what the model is specifically for, right? So that's something which is very critical to understand. Now comes the question of you have trained the model for your own specific use case, and you still get some spurious data. There's a concept in artificial intelligence called human in the loop. Hmm. So initially when you're leveraging any of these models, it's like a child learning to walk. You do not just tell them to step and throw them away, right? Yeah. They might still fall down and you the parents basically help them to get up and go through, or you have guides or people who are mentors basically help you go through, right? That's what basically happens in all of these cases. So here also initially when the data is coming in or spurious data is coming in, you basically, uh, you know, learn. Hmm. And if it's not right, then you basically help it improve right. and, uh, you know, kind of provide some real feedback to the, uh, you know, to the user of the data, uh, to user of the model, what things they can change and they can provide some guidance to the model. There'll be a human in the loop element right. to basically work your way through that. That's the way you have to look at it. The other part was about uh, what was the other part you had after spurious data? Uh, like just. Uh... It's more like all like at an algorithmic level. I mean, I can do some tweaking of the model, but like uh, I cannot like change like loss functions to make sure that the training. So, is getting let better. me answer it. And this is something which Kalyan basically introduced it really well. So there is a scope. Uh, so let me help you understand how the industry probably will evolve. The large language models will be developed, which are very generic in nature. And then there are companies like yours who are in bioinformatics area. You do not really have the resources to build a completely fine-tuned model. You do not have that many data scientists to get everything done for your own industry. And this is evolving right now in the discussion I'm learning. So there is a scope for a lot of startups or big companies to build products which are for specific domains. And then they can be further fine-tuned by specific customers without deploying a lot of resources. So there is certainly a need. There's certainly a space for that. And we'll talk about number of different use cases. So yes, uh, you know, it's company like yours who will provide the customer for Kalyan's. Uh, Kalyan basically talked about industry-specific models. Those who build those models, companies like yours will be consuming them. Yeah, I mean, just a little bit of context. Like uh, we were budgeting for like next year, and there were talk of like which, like whatever GPU work projected GPU workload is. So it we are thinking like okay. Are we really going to use large language models or are hey, we just picking? Hey, Tushar, right? Man, Manu, uh, just for your benefit, right? I've uh, put something in the chat. So, Tushar, this is a, a podcast from Chicago Booth, uh, you know, which I'm uh, my alma mater as well, yes. Authority. And very specifically, they talk about in the middle, these are the guys who are head of, uh, you know, life sciences research. You know, these are very prestigious universities and stuff. They specifically talk about this problem. They specifically say how it's not easy to replicate the uh, the molecules and the life sciences and stuff. That data is not easy, uh, so that will take time. And that again points back to what you said, Tushar, as the human in the loop um, is, and that was mentioned multiple times on the Capital G event I talked about. We're going back to that where judgment is required, where um, uh, uh, life is at risk. Those are not going to be solved by uh, AI, Gen AI right now. Um, exactly. And for that matter, no kind of AI will solve it. For example, if a doctor is conducting an operation in an operation theater, they have to make decisions. They have data coming from a lot of different sources. 
any of these AI tools can help them get some more data or options on the plate. But at the end of the day, the domain expert has to make a call because a generative AI cannot take away the human element of looking at the patient, perceiving its senses. And guys, that's something very beautiful about nature. The way God has created human beings, it will take another thousands of years for us or hundreds of years for us to build something which can replicate us. We are unique, right? When we meet people, the way we react, the way we think, the way we perceive and how human emotions, human feelings basically work out, something very interesting. And that's the way we have to think about it. Um, I do want to touch upon the topic of prompt engineering. A lot of engineers here. I'm myself learning about it and uh, full disclosure, um, I know after my master's, I was an engineer for six years, so I can relate to engineers at Intel and Sun. And like Kalyan, I went to a business school in finance at Stern, the banker on Wall Street worked in private equity, but then came back to technology industry eight to 10 years back. And I've been building businesses in artificial intelligence and cloud computing, multiple different companies, VMware, AWS, Facebook, Twitter, Dell. So engineering is something which I understand, but I do not have all that expertise which is required. But here is what prompt engineering is to some extent. And you guys will probably have to figure out some of these things on your own as you go along or leverage our AI ML Slack forum uh, if you wish to. For example, if there is a law firm, right? And they want to, there's a very interesting problem in artificial intelligence and natural language processing called abstractive summarization. It essentially means is like a human being can look at thousand page document and come up with a five page summary by looking at all the data and coming up with something which summarizes it really well. Uh, a computer cannot do that right now, typically. And, you know, it's very tough. It is, it is not a very solved problem very, uh, very easily. So what you can do is, uh, I can't annotate any things here. So um, now, for example, for a law firm, right? Um, let's say they're looking at a particular case, uh, which has been going on for a couple of years, which has got, you know, maybe a few thousand pages of document. A senior law professional in the company would like to understand, would like to know what are the key points in this case that he needs to be aware of before a hearing tomorrow, or what have been the key uh, arguments used by the opposing party, right? Now, what prompt engineering does is it tells you, it gives you an option that you can ask a model to basically just look at this, train the model specifically, or fine tune the model just on this few thousand pages for this particular case run it and then you can leverage it to basically uh, you know figure out things uh, by just leveraging it and then answering specific questions that is an area called prompt engineering which kind of helps you with understanding how we can do abstractive summarization from that particular aspect that's the beauty of it so that's the way that's the direction we are going in uh, it's something which is going to be very powerful um, something, for example, Manu was talking about bioinformatics. They may have things specific to their company. They want the model to just focus upon that and do things like summarization or information retrieval and go from there. That's the beauty. That's the direction we are going in. You guys will hear a lot more about prompt engineering going forward. Uh, let me stop here and also confess that I'm not an expert in any of these areas, but learning with all of you as we go along. Any questions people may have? Stop me. Thanks for that. Happy to. This is a very easy crowd, by the way, Kalyan and uh, Vikas. <laughs> they are very forgiving. They can feel that I'm not an expert, but learning with them, but they're not kind of, you know, exposing me as they say sometimes to the speaker. So 
thank you for that thank so sharp there is a and, and let me yeah this voice i have heard for 10 years but you still have to switch on your camera sandeep <laughs> and i am going to introduce you sandeep jain before you even ask the question 1988 iit kanpur computer science graduate a very funny incident related to sandeep jain which iitians need to know he was j rank 45 and his roommate was a gentleman navin buddhi raja was j rank number 1 in iit kanpur so everybody who came to rag basically focused on j number 1 and he skipped dragging and that's one of the reasons sandeep jain has not been as disciplined as people like me vikas and kalyan have been with that introduction sandeep please go ahead so you know there was a very interesting conversation discussion going on on whether the proprietary models will eventually win or the open source will win and there's a google engineer write up which says we have no more than no neither does anyone else right and i'll tell you what's going on here every tech and people who are new to the industry especially and asked who have been there who are not on the business side um every time and you learn this in life from multiple different aspects and sandeep you can see you have to still keep your camera on you just can't switch it off so uh, on saturday mornings also you look very handsome your hair is turned gray you can't do much about it so um every company thinks from their own perspective and they try to see where they have to make or they will make money right google makes money in search and they're using google bard and stuff to improve it they make money in gcp which is people use cloud and uh, storage and compute they don't have google never had a lot of interest in keeping things proprietary they want things to be open source as long as people come to google and use their search engine search capabilities or use gcp azure and uh, microsoft never cared a lot about making a lot of money on apis they make money in storage and compute so all of these players are going to make statements and take steps which are as per their own convenience where their own uh, you know uh, business interests or personal interests lie and they figure it out that's the kind of game they are playing that's the way they are thinking other questions people have i'm happy to answer it <clears throat> by the way that also that also you will find in your real life as you grow uh, that uh, people give you feedback also as per their own convenience based upon you know where they see fit uh, you know whether they want to you know promote you or their own uh, interests insecurities and their own challenges so you know uh, there are places where there are people like vikas and kalyan who truthfully tell or at least tell me on the face what they like about me and the fact that we galvanize iitians and there are people who basically have given me feedback which has not been that flattering because it does not suit their interest to see who i am so and it can change based upon the context so uh you know it's a very it's a very it's a life is a very interesting journey yeah you have to look at things from the pinch of salt but uh, let me that, go uh, go ahead that uh, that comment yeah sorry go ahead go ahead, go ahead you saying something because so, so, uh, i was just going to say that your comment uh, was very insightful uh, it reminded me of uh, you know uh, there is always the subjectivity uh, if you look at the double slit experiment uh the 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 act of observation changes things so that you know that that uh, now if you combine that with your comment uh, if you ask a person a question there is always that subjectivity that flows through them um uh, in, there is nothing objective uh, uh is 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 what all science points to i guess uh it's your subjective experience exactly i have i have 
I have friends who have uh, sometimes become upset when they're not invited to a panel which I'm organizing. Uh, and uh, But when they are organizing something, they don't want to be with me on the stage because they feel that I might dominate them or they come up with some reason that this are, you know, you have a different style. I'm like, when I'm inviting you, I'm the same person. When you have to invite me, the style changes. <laughs> I'm giving you an example of, uh, and that's how models also work. That's how artificial intelligence also works. And that's how the whole domain and the and the industry works. So sure. coming going back to the slide and continuing the conversation. Uh, so I think Sandeep had a question. Sure, Sandeep, please, absolutely. No, so again, just taking that right because uh, I today there are uh, probably about at least thirty to forty material foundational models. Okay, you probably know more about this than any of us, but uh, makes sense. And uh, if you look at the open source models, they are much more efficient and much more cost effective and almost similar uh, outcomes, especially in domain specific areas. So how do you see the bifurcation in open AI versus domain specific models leveraging the open source? The way it's going to work especially, is especially right when you're talking about startups, because the question is coming exactly. in here. And I'll I'll bring that up. Let me share the screen. Right. And uh, I'm going to address your question. Makes sense. Starting to open AI is actually a death knell for the startups. Right. So what's going to happen is when you're starting a company, you have resource constraint, you have monetary constraint, you have time constraints, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to start with some of these open source models, which will help you get started much more quickly much more fast at a much faster pace okay and you probably will be able to do it you know use and throw whatever you want to over a period of time when you basically go to a place and a point where you do not you want something which is more sophisticated something which is supported by a third party because let's say you get to a level we're not just doing test and dev you want to productionize something and put it in front of millions of customers you typically do not like to depend upon an open source uh, you know a resource you want some kind of a entity to back it up especially when it comes to support when it comes to improvement when it comes to suggestion that's the way it works so it's going to be a gradual progression for trying something which is cheap and easy to something where you're willing to pay based upon where you are in terms of your product development cycle your revenue go revenue cycle and how you want everything to emerge got it make sense good so let's go to the next slide so I wanted to quickly touch upon, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but when, when the AI came in, when I, for example, was in US in 97, and Sandeep probably looked into it when he was, he, when he came to US, AI always required a huge amount of computer and storage resources to run efficient models. The challenge was, it was tough for people to get easy access to it. You could buy NVIDIA GPUs, Intel, Network Appliance, Dell EMC, but they had high CapEx requirements. People used to work on mainframe systems for time slicing. I remember when I was at University of Cincinnati, my advisor ordered large Sun Spark stations for us to run models, four-way ultra spark processes. And that always constrained or limited uh, the number of people who can actually use any of these things uh, to a select group of individuals, select group of people. So that's the way it was. That's the way the, in, the, the industry evolved. Now, um, when it basically grew over a period of time, 
but that limited both the growth scale and accessibility of AI to folks on the ground. That was a challenge. This was one of the reasons why AI was did not go through a lot of growth for the first 40, 50 years uh, of its existence. What happened was, and then you also needed a lot of deep domain expertise. For example, you want to develop natural language products. Well, you need to understand natural language processing models and everything. You needed specialized domain expertise, and there was not much of off the self industry solutions. What happened was when the cloud computing came in, it democratized AI. Storage and compute become much more easily available. You got into what is called an OPEX versus CAPEX business model. The fundamental benefits of cloud computing versus you know private cloud or you know a co-location-based system or on-prem systems. And that impacted AI as well because it became much easier. If a startup can, can go and run something on the cloud very quickly and then abandon it if they don't have to use it, they don't have to put CAPEX money into it. And so that whole revolution, which made storage and compute much more easily accessible, also led to growth of AI because AI is a very storage and compute intensive application or use case that you have to work with. Uh, and then we got these, uh, you know, a lot of specific, you know, models came into picture, which people can easily use, which made AI much more popular. At software as a software as a service layer, you got things like Amazon Comprehend, which is a natural language processing engine, or Amazon Amazon Recognition, which is a video analytics you know engine. You got platform as a service, platforms on which you can build models. Google TensorFlow is a very good example. Amazon SageMaker, and then what large language models have done it is they've taken it to the next level, where you do not have to develop anything from scratch. I will give you a foundation model as we talked about. You fine tune it for your own applications and go from there. There's this concept in transformers called encoding, decoding kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, my friend Asis Bansal is a much deeper expert in this. And that basically changed the game. So, and open AI is associated with Microsoft Azure, Google Bot is with Google Cloud. So again, the cloud computing paradigm, people always forget it, has played a very critical role in revolutionizing AI. So, you know, AI, and that's why all of these cloud computing providers like to develop AI models, AI platforms and solutions, which they can basically deploy and hook them up and work their way through it. So that's the way things are going on. And this is a fundamental concept, especially the new graduates have to understand. The good news about artificial intelligence is the fundamental algorithms related to natural language processing, image recognition and stuff, have not come up in last five, 10 years. They've existed for 50, 60 years. It's a proven field with a lot of money that has been put, a lot of research papers have been published. And that's why, not to denigrate in their area, but you know, compared to things like cryptocurrency, blockchain, blockchain is still better, but cryptocurrency and this and that, which is a passing fad, AI is not a passing fad. It has been there for a long time, it will exist for a much longer period going forward. Make sense? Happy to answer questions that people may have. This is a, this, this is a look that I wanted to give uh, and people to understand how things are and what has basically prompted the trend they are seeing in the industry. Sure, maybe you already touched upon this, uh, but um, how about the aspects associated with deploying these models into production environments? Maybe there is some safety risks and difficulties in the training process. And we will, will and we will, will specifically address it related to generative AI. I have some few slides which will focus upon that. Okay. And we'll go into it in detail as we go along. <laughs> and, and we will do that. Uh, Kalyan, still there? 
Yeah, I'm here. I'm not any going anywhere. Nowhere. Okay. So Kalyan, I will take a break for two minutes. I'll be back. What I would like to request you to keep the audience engaged is maybe share your own experience from the capital G, uh, you know, event that you had where people talked about genetic AI and cyber security. Yeah, sure. so very good. Why don't you keep them engaged? I'll be back in a minute. Yeah, sure. Hey guys, looks like uh, this was impromptu. So <laughs> I'm uh, uh, Kalyan Gumadam. I'm actually um, first batch of IIT Gohati. So a couple of you guys know me. Um, very interesting uh, background. I spent uh, 10 years in corporate, 14 years in Wall Street. I worked on the at gun companies, um, ammunition factories, car companies, casinos, banks, hospitals, built uh, cafeterias for troops in Kandahar. Um, so I, mean, well, I work for a large private equity company, so um, I, I've done pretty much all kinds of things that you would never imagine. Um, so yeah, corporate, venture capital, private equity, I have my own fund right now, and I'm also a head of procurement at a high growth startup. So again, that's uh, in summary, my introduction, which was not supposed to be. But that said, um, my thesis way back 20 years ago was in uh, AI. It was artificial neural networks at that point. Nobody knew anything about it. Uh, and my professor and I were the only ones talking. Anyway, I got passed. Uh, from then on, I've been with uh, AI. I still invest in AI companies uh, a lot. <clears throat> uh, recently, been with um, I've been to some invite-only events with. Uh, actually, it was at Meta headquarters for um, some AI stuff, and then uh, two weeks ago was at uh, Capital G event um, for a cybersecurity panel, and it was um, led by the Google security leadership. Was a very interesting point there was it was a cybersecurity panel, and you know I was invest I was in invited because of my corporate position as well as my personal position, and then uh, within five minutes, uh, so Capital G is um, uh, Google Capital. It's just the growth fund of Google Capital, so they split Google Ventures into early stage and um, uh, growth. So Capital G is uh, just invest in Series A and B. So we were talking, uh, and then within five minutes, that cybersecurity discussion turned into a Gen AI discussion, which was like, I'm like, what? It was interesting because the head of security, uh, uh, Heather Atkins, great person. I was first time I was listening to her, and she was like, yeah, Gen AI has introduced uh, a lot of these endpoints where security can be at risk now because everybody is using it, even kids are using it, um, everybody wants to use it. So that was where it's, it was interesting that I wasn't expecting a Gen AI discussion at a cybersecurity panel, but looks like, um, and that's where uh, she was talking about how the human in the loop uh, events will be very important uh, for AI. Uh, and that's what I think uh, Tushar was uh, talking about before, uh, that with all these startups, the peripheral startups will be working very well, but once you get into industry domain specific, where judgment is important, the human in the loop, tweaking, nudging, refining, and the data uh, is where they're going to be saying there's going to be huge challenges or risks that they don't know how to address yet. Um, so, Hitushar, we're just talking about the capital Perfect. G. Uh, where, Thank you. Thank you. I want to keep the audience. Yeah, the Gen AI is uh, where, everywhere. That's where it's interesting to see how this is going to shake out. Absolutely. What I'm going to do is let me go back to sharing my slides. And uh, I will basically skip a few slides and share one or two slides and then come back. So, um, so generative AI and enterprises, um, I'll talk about some key challenges. I'll come to that in a minute. Let me first go to the use cases. And I'll come to these slides a little later. These are the vertical use cases uh, for some, some sectors that you can look at. I want you guys to spend some slides 
time on the slide taking a look at it banking healthcare retail incense manufacturing cyber security is not listed here but that can be one of them no, that was the interesting part right because <laughs> interestingly uh, but this can be a full on session by itself exactly. uh, Tushar, right? and then you know, if you look at some horizontal use cases uh, you know cyber security is actually a horizontal use case it's applied to every industry right and business communications knowledge base personal adjacent we do not have i, I miss cyber security here it probably well, will hey, be high Kishar, this zone. is an interesting right i'm pretty sure many of the people here are probably can i have a selfish interest in startups that are going to work on this so if you look at the previous slide and this slide um the verticals versus the horizontal mm -hmm. uh, is it where the um the llms and the uh, related models if you will uh, on the um whatever tool set that we would want to develop or ai as a service we want to develop um where the private llms will be much more useful in the vertical versus uh, a generic layer is going to be much more easier on the horizontal you know my friend it's going to be we will need specific use cases specific uh, specialized models for both the vertical use cases will pick up very fast because there are specific companies who are playing in that sector so they will go from there but for horizontal use cases also let's say you pick recommendation right so recommendation is and it's going to be a combination so there will be a company which might come up and basically help build models for recommendation engines right but recommendation engines are again become are vertical specific we'll go into a two or three steps there will be foundation model there will be a horizontal use case model, recommendation, personalization, content generation, whatever it is, right? And once that is done, then you basically take that and then fine tune it further uh, with for specific vertical use cases. There's going to be a three-step process. And it's not like foundation models can just be deployed for a horizontal use case like recommendation. It's not going to work like that. So you still need to fine tune that model uh, to make it easily usable for horizontal use cases, and then you work with specific companies to further fine tune it. The good news is, for example, if you want to do make a recommendation engine, you do not have to go and scrap the data on the whole web. Like Google does it, right? You do not have to do it, and you can start with the foundation model and the, you know, feed it data that you require over a period of time. That part is saved. And what is going to happen is, there is a reason I picked up the word democratization it basically levels the playing field a big enterprise like jp morgan which has got some proprietary data and working with the foundation model and a mid-sized enterprise which has got some foundation some data working with the foundation model will be much closer to each other previously what used to happen is companies which are big who have a huge amount of resources can build these models much easier much better the medium-sized enterprises or maybe small small enterprises did not have that particular choice did not have that particular you know capability and wherewithal and that's where it basically gets into picture hey tushar i have a question I, I, have, i'll have to drop off soon uh, thanks no worries it's quite uh, informative Bef before you go before you go we are going to quickly take a photograph of people and so we'll do that after this after you ask right, the that's, that's fine hey um so i do get uh, some of the use cases i understand the value whether it's training or it's things like marketing campaigns and uh, you know all that right or even coding uh, I'm still a little fuzzy on cybersecurity because, uh, you know, again, at the high level, a lot of cybersecurity is trying to detect anomalies and abnormal behavior patterns, uh, which is not exactly what LLMs do, do right? Or, or am I missing something here? No, Apple, look at it this way. You know, LLMs basically 
So let's say you are a cybersecurity company which wants to develop, um, you know, figure out how to, uh, you know, detect distributed demand and uh, distributed denial of service attack. Okay, mm-hmm. just picking up a case. And let's say there is a company which has got a website uh, which can support 5,000 users, but the challenge is that you can have, you know, data coming in for 50,000 people, which can bring the whole website down, right? What LLMs can give you is, and then you have to fine tune it for your own specific cases. Hey, this is what I think is the right set of queries I should be getting for my website. Okay, everything else is can be a potential denial of service attack. What LLM will provide you is with that particular part of the space, which is not what is your normal behavior. So you basically can leverage it from that particular perspective to think and think it from this perspective, right? What is the key challenge in cybersecurity today is zero day attacks. And we have done, as you have been part of a number of sessions on cybersecurity and AI through AIML forum. So what is the problem with zero day attacks is you're looking at attack vectors which you've never seen before, right? And so how do you figure it out? And LLMs can provide you with a big space to see if something like this was ever seen somewhere else, or if this is not a normal behavior, what kind of pattern it is. So look at it from that particular perspective, but you're correct for something like cybersecurity, it will not be that easy to implement. Just take an LLM and deploy it. It can yeah. still be a foundation model. A lot more customization would have to be done. As Kalyan said, a lot more human in the loop will have to come. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Apple, before you're going to yeah. drop, uh, you know, we need a, we need a, we need a screenshot with you. Any other question yeah. people have? I, I, a lot of times I go and claim people. Mm-hmm. Apolog is my friend. People look at me as if I, I've, I've gone nerd. So what I do is I keep these photographs and then use that as a technique and I go and put it on the LinkedIn and tag Apolog Bothakur. That way nobody can ask me questions later. <laughs> He's doc- documenting it, uh, Apolog. You are exactly with, with with Vikas and Kalyan being my being being my uh, you witnesses. Know. Exactly yeah, witnesses and and that's Tushar, you always have good jokes. One thing that you should that I haven't heard you use, which is, you know, you say, oh, I'm not an expert, but you should say, I'm not an expert, but I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express, so I can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for those who don't know, I can't forget this. How can I forget this? This is IIT Guwahati campus event. Apulak is actually from Assam, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, look at that. Look at that. That's a photo that should be taken. And, and it's not that he's from just from Assam. You grew up in Meghalaya, correct? Yeah, yeah. I actually up, never, never, I only went to Assam for like holidays, uh, but yeah, I'm from Assam, like I'm a Sanjay. So. And, and, yeah, and, his, and his parents right now live in Assam. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. And those days he did not have IIT Guwahati, so he had to go to IIT Madras, which is certainly not as good as IIT Guwahati, but there is no choice. IIT Kharagpur did not admit him either, so, you know, he had to go, I'm just kidding. No, it was, it was one of those things, right? You you go based on rank. I want, you know, I didn't, I wanted, you know, for that I want electronics and IIT Madras, you know, whatever. That's a long story. Your your J rank was 132. I'm pretty sure you could have got anything, right? What, man? How do you know all this shit? <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> and I'm spot on, 132. Not one more and not one less. Wow, man, you're scaring me now. My 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 J rank was more than ten times of him, so you know. <laughs> but I so that's the way it is. But before I let Apollo go, let me take. I like to request everybody to you know switch on your cameras, and uh, I'm going to capture. Give a smile, you know. You all look good. Uh, so I'm going to quickly. Yeah. Okay, with that smile. And especially on a Saturday morning when we're all like, you know, 
sleepy faces. That's when he wants to take that photo and slap it on LinkedIn. Perfect. Awesome. I'll t- I'll tell you something, uh, uh, Kalyan. Open feedback. Even if it's a Saturday evening and you're dressed up, you don't look more handsome. This is the best you can do, anyways. So don't worry about it. If you if you have, if you had any in any any reason for me to tell you, and by the way, that's true about guys in general. Yeah. Don't worry about it. No matter what yeah. we do, we look beyond the limit. We can't improve. So. ஒரு <laughs> um uh, you said about democratization um and and yet i also hear topics are like uh, comments like uh, not everyone has the same quality of data uh, and the intensity of data and if you don't have that then then again if, if one person has it and the other company doesn't it again is an imbalance so why do you say democratization if, right a very good question and is... i will answer it i love this question yeah so let's say if i'm developing a model for financial services use case right today if i have to develop it and you are a big enterprise i am a medium sized enterprise you'll have a huge scale and benefit over me you'll have much more more big amount of data compared to what i bring on the platform right what foundation model does is both of you will start with the same 70% of exactly. the 30% or last 20% will be different there will be a differentiation but the amount of differentiation has come down So for example you have got double the amount of data that i have right so previously you were at 100 i was at 50 now both of us will have 70 each you will have 30 i will have 15 so now the difference is 85 versus 100 that's the way you'll have to look at it so democratization does not mean uh, you know everything becomes same you know look at like look at it like elections and democracy right everybody has a vote that does not mean everybody is equally powerful Yeah. but at least each of you can go and vote and have a change say in changing the government somebody is playing a nice music uh, <laughs> that's okay other questions yeah. people have before i go through other slides which will be more on challenges safety risks we'll talk about that so i think the the biggest challenge is uh, give me one second that's my kid playing the piano in the background it looks like looks like son is much more talented than father well yeah she is டெக்னாலஜி uh and the data layer is very important on the private where only some people have the proprietary data and they will win but that's not the use case for everybody right so like what tushar said the biggest challenge with all the startups that have been doing some of this work in the past 5 uh, 10 years now they're technically obsolete because the anybody else can come in and they can start doing the same thing within like 3 4 months So I think that's the challenge on the peripheral stuff right but vertical use cases where deep domain expertise is requ- required um it's going to be very different on the data is required to train the models and stuff so uh, that's what to share the question is how do uh, uh, you know as you said right like JP Morgan versus a small startup or a medium company uh, now the competition is going to be intense right 
because the technology has been democratized. And eventually though, who will own the data, right? Uh, there's synthetic data that, you know, I think you know Girish, right? Girish Mukai, he has uh, his, uh, what is Clockfish? They are companies that are coming, like, you know, when this is all happening, you know, if you want to dig the gold, you know, sell the shovels, they are creating data and companies are coming out who are just gonna sell synthetic data so you can run your models. But how do you now figure out if people are here trying to build startups, uh, what is my competitive uh, advantage or moat anymore? I'll tell you. So how have, this is, this comes back to the traditional question of David versus Goliath, right? And how does, uh, you know, David defeat the Goliath? So the way this is going to happen, and I wish I could show you a slide from MLOps is, if you look at things like what AI, what cloud computing has done, it has given everybody access to computing storage, leveled the field to some extent. What is LLMs doing? Everybody's getting access to a certain amount of data. Okay, now how would a startup, for example, distinguish itself uh, from established player? The way they will do it is they have always done, not forget about AI, but any field, they will have much more focused resources who can look into a problem and develop much better proprietary algorithms. Remember one thing, four really smart people can actually do things which is better than 40 medium or average people when it comes to innovation. So now the battle will change from who has got access to data to who can basically think much more creatively about solving a problem from algorithmic perspective. Now, algorithms are also democratized to some extent, but for specific use cases, Specific challenges, corner cases, problems, you can do it much better. And that's the game which startups have always played, right? I mean, think about it. IBM had all the resources to build a PC or, you know, think from that particular perspective or build and come up with a PC model world. Microsoft and Intel did it, right? And they moved much faster. So that same thing will happen where the startups will basically focus on specific problems, much higher returns. Bigger companies sometimes really get involved in politics involved in organizational fights and actually do not go anywhere. And that's the way you have to think. Very fair. So the other thing that we talked about jobs and stuff, remember? Um, mm -hmm. So the interesting thing here is uh, with Gen AI and these access to all these LLM models and stuff. Now, people who wouldn't think about starting a startup before, uh, any, any person with an average IQ can now create whatever they want to at at least the basic level which wasn't the case, you know, two, three years ago, right? Let's say you were a chemical engineer, you had a great idea, but you didn't have the know-how, all the computer stuff, then you didn't want to do that. But now a decent, let's say all the IIT guys here, right? If it doesn't matter what their, you know, uh, domain is, now if they have an idea, they can come in um, and they can start building it. And probably within the next four to six months, they can have something in play, which wasn't possible before. So the, Jobs wise, uh, that wasn't there before, right? Let's say whenever these different inventions came in, like uh, crypto, Web3, um, NFTs were all a different craze, but there was a specific domain of people who were going after it. But doesn't this model completely change the future where now the competition is going to be crazy everywhere because everybody would want to do this? Because right. I, I want to do build my model too. Right. So let me, yeah, let me answer that question. It's a beautiful question. Kalyan, you are asking some really relevant question and I'm going to answer it, both from practical and philosophical perspective. Number one, very good point. Previously, if a chemical engineer wanted to develop something for the chemical industry, he'll be more worried about figuring out where to get computer storage from, where to get data from and do all that. 
instead of focusing upon the domain specific problem and then guiding a data scientist to solve it. Now that particular domain expert can easily work with one or two people to get the whole system going and he can put his mind in solving the chemical engineering problem and not the data problem, the compute problem, the storage problem or the NLP problem. So domain experts will have a much higher say and that way we can basically develop much more efficient and focused solution. Now comes the next part, Kalyan, uh, which is more interesting. Well, then it's going to be chaos and everybody will do it. You know, Kalyan, in Silicon Valley, there has been access to capital. There has been access to venture capital. There has been access to technology and talent forever. But still, there are only certain few people who become very successful entrepreneurs. Reason, along with technology and access to data and everything, you need some human elements in play. Motivation, hard work, ability to take risk, ability to you know forge alliances, think, you know, it's like everybody who gets access to a gun and a horse or a sword did not become Maharana Pratap, right? You know, you need to have certain things, fire in your belly, motivation to fight, get in front of it. Those human elements will still be distinguishing, distinguishing one person from another. And as far as the IITs are concerned, and I'm extremely sorry if the non-IITs, the reason we went to IITs was not because we are the, always the smartest or the brightest kids in our class. We were motivated. We wanted to, we wanted to get there. That particular human element, the desire to succeed, the desire to fight, the fire in your belly, that always remains as a distinguishing factor between one human being and another human being. And that particular thing will always play the final role in deciding who is actually going to win the race. What we are doing is, if somebody already has those capabilities in their personality, they should not be disadvantaged because of other factors. You get where I'm coming from? It's like giving a chance of, to a son of a poor person who has got all the capabilities, but does not have access to books and schools and resources. We're giving a chance to them. We're giving a chance to a rich kid. We're giving a chance to a medium class kid. Everybody's coming there. But then who is going to succeed? It's not like everybody will get same marks in JE exams. The one who has worked hard, the one who is motivated, and that's what basically changes. And that's what basically makes, you know, human beings different from each other. And that's why, Kalyan, you would understand the books on leadership which were written two or 500 years back are relevant today also. I'm right now taking my son to visit Shakespeare, Shakespeare's dramas. The reason is not because he's going to become a Shakespeare expert. We learn about human emotions, behavior, ambitions, how things play. What Shakespeare wrote 800 years back is relevant today. It's going to be relevant after 800 years. But human element always comes into picture. No, very fair. Going to change. That's the way I'm going to look at it. Other questions people have before I go back to some of my slides, which I won't call the closing slides, but will be, you know, kind of uh, give a CJ's switch on your camera, introduce yourself. I want to meet more and more people. Yeah, this, uh, this, one second. This is Sukhinder Lamba. Sukhinder, Sukhi, IIT, Roorkee alumni are not allowed in IIT Guwahati events. No, yeah, no, no. Know, Everyone's, I, I, we are welcoming. I, I, I infiltrated and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to propose a round of applause for uh, Tushar's last comments. I really liked, you know, and he, he really kind of uh, <laughs> gelled with me on, on the human element. And actually, you know, I was thinking uh, I wasn't... Uh, in the place where I could turn on my camera, but you look you know, handsome no matter what. Much. Uh, so one thing you know, I was thinking as to you know when we talk about the LLM and uh, you know the big LLMs and the startups, how the startups are going to win, right? So there is a there's a question of uh, domain specific thing which talk uh, Tushar talked about, and then there is this element of uh, 
you know iatms <laughs> or human element right so i think those are the two key things um not know you know we can have a further discussion on llm how do you um you know unshackle as startup from an llm and you know you you cannot afford an llm so how do you you know unshackle ultimately but so so i think those are the two key, key elements uh, we can we can change by the way deepak deepak bhagat ji is on the call id kanpur 73 he can tell you idns were doing great when there was semiconductor boom we're doing great when there was a web boom a pc boom and the ai boom and the common factor is not the technology which is changing the common factor is the motivation of idns to work together as a team to bring about a change so you know that always always plays a role let me go back to my slides um, and look at a few more things uh, so that we can cover them from a few different perspectives and bring it up so when you are working on something like generative ai it's not like it's going to be all hunky dory and you will not have any challenges there are three production related challenges that we can think about uh, or operational or deployment related challenges but before i go there sijes uh, you had a question i we forgot you uh, i don't want to be moving without answering questions sijes yes, you're uh, still on the call CJ, yeah. please introduce yourself campus branch here where you are located so i am not an iatn just a no disclaimer worries. here so this is uh, i know uh, all of you are from iit no worries so, at all um, my question here is, but where are you located what are you, what do you do we want to know you either way so i am located in, uh, in the bay area and uh, Very nice. i i'm currently working at sap Very nice. in the for 24 years now it's Very more nice. an enterprise in, in palo alto hillview road yes. yeah in palo alto so um thank you uh, tushar for organizing this is really an interesting area and a topic um, and I have a question more on the enterprise context because I come from a supply chain domain and there are a lot of um, use cases where machine learning traditionally has been used, I mean, over the past years. And how does generative AI, you know, help here? Because this is more, um, you know, I would say, you know, in the use cases where, it, where language uh, based interaction is used. Uh, like in a, a kind of a chat interface or something like that. But um, also that is one question that I have basic question. The other thing is if uh, somebody, you know, comes up and says, I have a domain uh, specific model for say supply chain, right? Which does uh, things like, you know, traditional calculations like on time and uh, full and all these kind of forecast accuracy, you know, things like that, that traditionally is used in that industry. How do you how do we know that particular uh, uh, model is uh, better than somebody else's model in that area in that domain? Right, right. right? How how, how so, do you compare? How do you compare even even today with these foundational models? Somebody I think mentioned earlier in the call, uh, the open source models are better. How do you how do you say that it's better? What are the key you know parameters to determine uh, some model is better versus the other one right uh, unless you start using it and you know it generates like bard had a disaster in their whatever uh, in, in in their opening <laughs> uh, you know demo demonstration where something incorrect was mentioned 
for a very factual question, right? Uh, so how do how do we really determine which model is better versus the other? Right. So, so that's also another second question, actually. So the first question is. Go ahead. The first question is on the industry specific. How do we like, you know, how does it apply to something like a supply chain industry? Like where this is more like adapting a, you know, language model to to that industry. Um, uh, how does it really it, does it really help or it it's a, you know, you need to have a combination of machine learning techniques plus uh, LLM plus deep learning to kind right, of address right. that industry. So, so. Or and the second question is, uh, how do we compare models? How, you know, which one is better versus the other one? Right? Uh, let, me answer, in that let me answer the question in two parts. Let me answer the second question first. <clears throat> okay. It's a very standard approach which has been taken no matter which industry which product which problem we are trying to solve what you do is let's say you have to make a judgment about automating your supply chain process or whatever using some models right and a couple of different companies have come to come to you do not get enamored by the technology do not get enamored by you know who is what or what what bells and whistles you have look at your problem and define certain metrics which figures out the success. For example, in supply chain, forecasting can be a problem. Prediction can be a problem. Amount of time to market, uh, amount of inventory can be a challenge. Define three to five very good metrics which are needed for your supply chain system to work efficiently. Then look at the data that you have accessible to yourself over the last few decades. What you can do is you can do POCs with different providers train their model using your data in your own environment and see how they perform in terms of the metrics that you're looking at and how better they are from your existing system. That's it. You do not have to understand LLM. You do not have to understand natural language processing. You do not have to even probably fine tune your model much. Use whatever you have people are bringing in, train with your own model in a POC setting, define a certain few key metrics which are important for your own business and then see how it basically performs and go from there. Now, the first question was, can LLMs or generative AI be applied to it? Always look at problem in a different way, Sujis. Do not think in terms of, can this technology be applied to this? Think about the problem first. Think about the challenge first. And then think, what are our existing solutions doing? Are there gaps in existing solutions? I'm talking to a lot of enterprises right now. They do not need generative AI. They do not have a problem which is that scale. It can be solved with an MLOps platform. It can be solved with a simple natural language processing. Focus on the problem first, instead of looking at what solutions can fit into it. Do not look, you know, do not try to find a bunch of hammers and then look for a nail. Look to see what kind of nail you have and then look for a hammer. Go with that approach and then look at, you know, your own metrics for what success is. And by the way, philosophically speaking, it applies to we as human beings and personalities also. And the reason is, when we are judging and evaluating ourselves and figuring out our own life goals, some of the younger alumni here, do not go after what is defined to be success by other people. Look at what are your own metrics and goals for success and then work from there and then see how to get to it. And that will basically provide you happiness in your personal life. I'm digressing a little, but this is important. Same thing goes to business. Look at your own goals, what that you're trying to achieve, and then look for right solutions to fix them or solve them instead of getting enamored by a solution and running after it. It's a roundabout way of answering your question, but it will probably resonate with you as you go along. 
Yeah, people didn't realize that uh, Tushar, this was a spiritual, motivational, as well as a Janai session. Uh, so uh, I always digress when I see younger eyes. You know, that is good. That is really good. Hey, I need to drop as well, but I want to make sure that I catch everything here. So how much time do more do we have? I'll, I'll, I'll basically go through two or three slides. Okay. And then we can have an open session as long as people want, um, you know, because there are a bunch of other business challenges as well. But I think I'll focus on the deployment and the operational ones and then go from there. Uh, uh, Tushar, sorry for interrupting. No worries. I mean, like, uh, just to summarize, like, what the advice that you are giving to us is essentially asking us to cut through the hype of AI, right? Cut through hype of anything in life, not just AI. Okay. Yeah. Like, got it. Thanks. Think from that perspective. It always helps. Yeah. Thanks. Model and data ownership, these are some of the challenges you'll see in production challenges of generative AI. Model and data ownership and cost optimization. So there are a lot of different models available. You have to figure out which models to use, how to optimize your cost. Uh, you know, you'll have new releases of models coming in. You have to figure out how to basically maintain and manage them. There's the issue of privacy, fairness, you know, the issue of monitoring requirements, tropic drift, user interactions. One thing you have to understand is, just getting a generative AI model does not mean you can easily deploy and run it over a period of time. There is an area in machine learning called MLOps, machine learning operations as a service, where you can basically use the machine learning model for automating the whole model lifecycle management process. For generative AI, a new area is coming called LLM Ops. And LLM Ops essentially refers to the fact uh, that you can have MLOps for large language models. And that is a field in itself which will evolve over a period of time. I would also like to uh, quickly share something on the screen with some of you here. And that is, uh, you know, some of the topics which we are covering and those who are local in Bay Area. We have an event which is coming up on August 2nd uh, at Falcon X. It's on my LinkedIn, you can look at it. And there is an event registration link, the, the things are going very fast. We'll be covering some of these topics like large language models, prompt engineering, Attractive summarization, how GNI can be applied to different areas like customer experience, infrastructure, what are the research and advancements in this area? We'll be looking into this. So, I wanted to make you guys aware of this event as well. And this is something which is very critical from the perspective of deploying models. There are safety risks as well with models. There are harmful responses, malicious prompt, and hallucination. A lot of you have already looked into it. User can prompt or data trigger can toxic response. You can have prompt containing stereotypes. And you can have malicious prompts, which basically try to break a model. Models can hallucinate, give answers which you have never thought about. So these are different things from generative AI safety risks perspective. Similarly, there can be training challenges with generative AI. You know, you have training modes, you have cost performance, you have model lineage. It can be high cost to train models, uh, difficulty to explain models. This area of prompt engineering I've talked about. Uh, there are normal issues of explainability and reproducibility of models, which is an artificial intelligence. So the traditional challenges of building and deploying AI models will still remain. Uh, you know, they are not going to change. They'll still remain. There'll be validation of these models across different domains. Some of the traditional challenges you saw in AI will still remain. What generative AI basically solves for you is you get this foundation models trained on a huge amount of data, which gives you a much more level playing field. I'll stop here and, uh, you know, basically open the forum to people 
to ask as many questions as they want. Uh, I typically do not like to, you know, uh, end the session on a on a on a you know time bomb. I know some people have to drop, but alumni who have joined, and I have a few other slides which I'm going to skip now. But I want you guys to, you know, just 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 make it open flow. Tushar, this is Deepak. Hey, listen. Uh, Deepak Bhagaji, I would like to request you to switch on the camera as well. Yeah, no. Don't figure. Let me share with you. I was using iPhone and I got a call, so my video slides disappeared. I tried to log in through my Apple laptop. I couldn't do that. I couldn't find the right link, so I only have access through the iPhone with audio channel. So the question no is, uh, have you recorded this session and can you share the slides and the recording with me? Because I think that what you talked about, what I heard is outstanding, but I cannot see the context behind it because absolutely no, absolutely. So because uh, if you can, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys are recording the session. You can share the recording with me. Uh, that will be great. And Deepak Bhagaji, I will make sure that you get a link to my recording. Yeah, because when I clicked on the link, which was part of the invite, um, Facebook, and it had a link to the Facebook, it went to the Guwahati page where it was announcing your event, but then there was no link to click on it to go to your event, right? So I, I shared it on a lot of different places, the WebEx link to the event. That's yeah, what so, it was. Yeah, so for some reason, uh, uh, you know, I have limitations in using my Apple laptop because this is the first time I'm using Apple. No worries, Deepak. No, we will we'll get we'll get a link to the recording. I'm pretty sure. So, we'll so with I'll take uh, I'll take this opportunity to uh, tell everyone that I'm going to get this recording um, and any other material that Tushar wants to share, um, and I'll and I'll post it up in a public forum, um, and uh, you know Tushar's uh, LinkedIn profile. Please visit that. Um, and uh, uh, he he posts all the events uh, that are upcoming as well there, and also about the Slack channel he talked about. So that's a good way to keep in touch with him as well. Okay, absolutely. Other questions people have uh, as we start wrapping up. And because see, we are already coming close to end of two hours, and if we want, we can go on for another half. So I know that <laughs> you know the sessions typically never end in an hour. Uh, you know, especially with AIML. That is true. That Other questions people have, uh, and by the way, it does not have to be just generative AI. It can be any area in artificial intelligence, any vertical, any industry, anything in cloud computing that you want to discuss, industry in general, companies, whatever you want. Hey, Tushar, um, I have a question. By the way, very good session, and I would like the slides as well and the recording. Uh, so one thing with respect to uh, has, uh, you know, hallucination, right? Everybody talks about it. You know, it came into forefront when Sundar Pichai, I know, where in an interview, he said, well, you know, we, we do not know how these models work. And that was like a shock, you know, to hear from Sundar, right? And he says, okay, we, we do not know how it works when it hallucinates, we cannot control it. Uh, the question for the forum and, you know, everybody here and Tushar yourself is, is this problem going to be solved? Right. So I'll, 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 I get it. Uh, you know, Soki sir, interesting thing is Sundar made another statement after that. So mm -hmm. Sundar made a statement that we do not 100% know how it works. So the interviewer asked him, hey, then why did you release it to the whole world? His answer was, we do not know how the mind works. The answer was, <laughs> our minds basically work in the whole world. So we do not have to understand everything perfectly before it is deployed. You learn it over a period of time. So, you know, hallucinations will be there. 
but that's where the human in the loop will come in. When you have vertical specific or customer specific or use case specific models, they will take away and address some of these challenges and problems. And that's how it's going to evolve over a period of time and we'll work our way through it. So it's a known problem. Human, and think about it, right? As human beings, and always look at these models as replica of human brain. A lot of times as human beings, we also hallucinate or make assumptions about people, behavior, circumstances, challenges, right? How do you deal with it? Either just keep it within yourself or you basically share it with people, tell them what their challenges are, tell them you know, how you see and perceive things and then go from there, right? Whether the reaction of a person in a situation was instantaneous or something which was pre-planned, you have to work it from that particular angle, think from that particular perspective. That's the whole thing. Similarly, when you're building a model and you're getting responses which are not in line, then you retrain the model, filter out certain data, give it the right kind of data, or when you're using the result to take out the hallucination part and work from it. It's like a conversation between, let's say, me and you, and we have known each other for eight years now. There are times, okay, sir, when you know I get a little upset, you get a little excited, but then when we relax back and think, we take out those emotional aspects out of it and focus on what is the key thing is, and that's how these models will also evolve and work through. So do not look at it differently from human brain. No, no, I, I get it. I think uh, that's a point uh, right on. Uh, my question, another uh, prompt engineering thing you mentioned, right? And I, I, I keep thinking, is prompt engineering could be somewhat a solution for hallucination, right? Could prompt engineering be done in such a way that you reduce the hallucination? Or Absolutely, so Absolutely. Yeah. I gave an example of a law firm which wants to do a summarization of 5,000 pages of document for a case. So the way it is addressing hallucination is, it's training the model in those 5,000 pages. So the model will basically be focused on that particular area. It will not be thinking about everything else in the world. And it will not be a foundational model which can give you answer by looking at data from anywhere on the web. It will be focused, you basically define the space in which the conversation is happening. And that will basically address it. Great. I think- uh... Other other questions yeah, people have? Yeah. Uh, Tushar, uh, I have a question. Uh, just Bharat? Yeah. Bharat, yeah, quickly introduce yourself, name, campus. Yeah, sir. Uh, so myself, Bharat Bansal, uh, I'm from IIT PHU 23 batch, electrical engineering. Uh, 23 batch, you're not, you just graduated. Yes. Same department as me. Yes. <laughs> and, and before you ask the question, you have to tell me which hostels did you live in? Uh, I lived in Morvi. Only for five years, four years? No, no, I lived in Aribhatta, then I was in Vishwasaraya, then in Morvi. And you have to give me your room number in Morvi and Vishwasaraya. I lived in those hostels. I know okay. this going for IIT, Guwahati people, but that way I will remember you for next five years. Okay, so in Vishwasaraya, I was in room number like 73, and Morvi, I was in 106. So, bo so both, the, both the hostels, you are on the first floor. The ground floor. Yes, yes, ground floor. Morvi 220, 266. room number 108. It's been a long time, but it's in my heart. But go ahead, what's your question, Bharat? Yeah, I wanted to ask about uh, AI fairness uh, in uh, generative AI. Like, how can we reduce uh, bias in generative AI? Like, AI fairness has been a, a great, uh, I guess, a major problem in machine learning. So, is this problem still exist in generative AI? And if so, it exists, then how right, can we reduce it? Right. So, Bharat, by the way, we had a session on fairness and explainability on AI on June 4th last year through AIML okay. forum. Hopefully you are part of it. Do get, send me a LinkedIn invitation. If you don't, 
rally to the forum. Fairness, explainability, these problems will remain, whether it's generative AI or not. This is a fundamental problem where you are basically relying upon a model to make decisions and make recommendations based upon huge amount of data, right? So this problem will add, probably will get even more magnified. The way to address it is basically feeding your model on data from much more varied sources. So now you can tell me that Tussar, look in generative AI will train on the whole more, uh, huge amount of data from the web, right? So probably it will automatically take care of fairness, but think about it. The data also will may have a large, much larger amount of bias as well. Yes. The reason is the data goes long time back. For example, you know, the data may, for example, when you are recommending a person for a job, I'm just picking an example, the data will look at the profile of people over 40, 30, 40 years, and the world was much more biased 30 years back than it is right now. So yes. the problem will still remain. We'll have to figure out how to address it by giving it data, which makes it much more valid. Those problems will still remain, whether it is fairness or explainability or model drift. We'll have to address it as we go along. Okay, so uh, so to solve it, we need to look upon the data or look upon the model, like uh, how the model is working on and like should we go to the model side or should we go to the data same side? way we did with fairness in the past you try to basically give model much more wide spectrum of data okay. that's how you can work through it thank you other questions people have seven more five more minutes and then we can wrap up i told because it's going to be two hours if i if i wrap it up in less than two hours i'll lose credibility <laughs> I can talk for the whole day as you can imagine, but wrap it up uh, in, in five minutes. And I was so excited because for this event, I got up, got ready, forgot to take my breakfast. So that's why I took a break. I was very hungry. Went and had yeah, a yeah, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that, Tushar. And um, even though this is multi spanning multiple time zones, I anticipate a lot of people watching the recording. Um, so I appreciate the uh, quality of the content um, and your insights in this. Absolutely, absolutely. But thanks uh, to everybody uh, who has joined. Um, you know, I am never too busy to interact with alumni. The reason is people who are right now new college graduates in 10, 20 years will be industry executives. And hopefully the relationship will remain. And you would have good things to say about Vikas and Kuma, uh, Kalyan and hopefully myself and others. Uh, remember, the reason we created the IML forum through which I know Vikas uh, it's the most, it's a unique forum in the history of IIT where it's a completely intellectual forum open to all IITians across all campuses over all decades, free of cost, which brings the whole community together. The reason I've kept it only to IITians is Slack is free for up to 5,000 people. If I make it completely open, it will become filled up right away. So, uh, you know. I think the whole of uh, San Francisco might be there. Exactly. I mean, and, and just to boost our ego, in some of our events in the past, we have turned down Stanford graduates uh, because they did not have an IIT degree. One guy was permitted because his wife was from IIT. He said, okay, you can come. So I'm just, uh, 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 just kidding. Actually, Suki sir did that uh, on 8th March 2017 event, which was our first in-person event. When Asis Bansal talked about state of art in artificial intelligence. There was a Stanford alumnus who wanted to join. We were sold out. And so Suki sir finally gave him an entry because his wife is an IITian. But uh, jokes apart, it's a community. Uh, you know, you all are most welcome to reach out to me through LinkedIn anytime. Uh, the, the Slack forum is 60 to 70 channels. Leverage it. I'm always active on it. 
will help you get introduced to people anywhere you want in the world, um, you know, and jokes apart, uh, we are campus agnostic, uh, you know, branch agnostic, geography agnostic. Um, it's a community which is going to be always there for you. So, you know, uh, this so, is hopefully not the first. Go ahead. Tushar, uh, let's, uh, let's decide when you're going to do the prompt engineering session. I think I'm very interested and in, I know a lot of people are very Absolutely. interested. Absolutely. And that is, hmm. that is something, as you can imagine, is more technical than uh, my own capability. Deepak Bhagaji has already requested it. Asis Bansal, who is right now traveling through summer, is right now in, he's in Paris right now as we speak. So once he, his life settles down a little, we'll basically you know, work through it. Deepak Bhagaji has also brought in the proposal to uh, have a session for our AML forum. The faculty from Berkeley, Jitendra Malikji, uh, I've already responded back to him. In coming months, we probably will do an event with Jitendra Malikji at some point of time. So uh, a lot of these things are in play. Uh, you know, it's just that there's so much on the plate. We are doing an event with Falcon X on Genetivia on August 2nd, and the Falcon X people, which is the startup accelerator, has already approached me to do a series of events going forward. And as you can imagine, to keep the cost low, we don't charge anything to members of AIML Forum, which also means the number of volunteers focused on working on it is not that much. So we'll basically work our way through that and see where it goes. Other questions people have, or I let Vikas close the session at the end. Yeah. Hi, Tushar. So I just wanted to uh, introduce myself. So I don't have any, any uh, questions, but thought of uh, since I've been um, with this session for the last two hours, so thought of introducing myself before. Sure. Are yet. you? Let us uh, know where are you located. What keeps you engaged, and if you are from one of the campuses. Yeah, sure. So I'm currently in uh, Vancouver, Canada, and nice. uh, I'm from um, IIT Guwahati 2005 batch. Very um, nice. And I'm working at, at Amazon. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. So I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn profile and I saw that you are from Renopti School also. And, and, and I'm an alumni from, from Renopti too. Uh, Which FRI. campus of Renopti School? Bigwati. FRI. FRI? Yeah. I went to the same school as you. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> and where, where, which city did you live in? Uh, so I, I did uh, my schooling up to 10th from, from there, from Dunbar, so. And, and where did you live? Where did you live during those years? Uh, I was in uh, Dunbar, actually. Oh, so you went from Dunbar to Rigwadi every day? Exactly. <laughs> and I, I grew up in Sindri, which is 26 kilometers from Dunbar. We went to the same high school and grew up in cities 26 kilometers from each other. We are IITians <laughs> on this forum. Yeah. Uh, that is just amazing. Which batch you are from IIT Guwahati? Uh, 2005 batch. Five. 2005. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Amazing. Nice yeah. to meet you. Send me a LinkedIn invite. Yeah, sure. Will do. Thank you. Absolutely. Vikas, please over to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, thank you so much, Tushar. Uh, this has been a great session. Uh, I want to extend my deepest gratitude for an excellent talk and also to the audience for the engaging conversation and the questions. Uh, again, as I said earlier, please uh, look out the invite, uh, the event invite, and uh, there is much more information there. You can reach out to Tushar and also his uh, forums that he talked about earlier. And lastly, I just want to leave you by saying that if you have any suggestions for topics in the future, uh, please contact me and I'm going to line up those talks for you because I want to make this meaningful for you. Uh, again, these talks are being organized by IIT Guwahati Alumni Association. It is called the speaker series where we bring um, uh, noted industry persons to talk about uh, interesting topics. So please feel free to submit those topics to me and I will line up those talks for you. Having said that, thank you so much for hanging around uh, for a long session. Um, and if you have any questions, uh, you have my email and my LinkedIn to reach out. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
Great to meet everybody. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye everyone. <clears throat>